You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. But the truth is, if you're the real deal, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what? You've been sealed as well. And I'm sure that people, when they come into contact with you, will know whether or not you are the real deal. You know, people can come to that kind of a conclusion. You know that. It doesn't take an awful lot of time spending with that person, whether or not, you know, whether they are a Christian, whether or not they are a true follower of Jesus Christ. In the second coming of Christ, Jesus will have with him 144,000 believers sealed by God with God's name on them. And whether a literal name is written on them or it's simply known they're God's children isn't clear. But as Pastor Mike teaches today, if you're a believer in Christ, it should be obvious to others by the way you live your life. It should be easy to tell if you're a true follower of Christ by your character, your lifestyle, and your devotion to God. Do others know you're God's child by your life? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 14 as he begins his message, The Lamb's Redeemed. So why don't you grab your Bibles and we'll just pick up where we left off last time. We're in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 1 through 8. But this message, the title is The Lamb's Redeemed. The Lamb's Redeemed. And listen, as we go through this message, I want you to please think about the question whether or not you are a member of the Lamb's Redeemed. Because that's an important question. And it's a question that needs to be answered by all of us. Okay, let me begin to set up this uh, study by, first of all, drawing your attention to a couple of things here. In chapter 14, there is a series of seven separate visions, seven in all, describing for us seven different events. But each one of these events and visions are complete within themselves. Uh, We're only going to cover three of them. So three visions, that was given to John, three particular events. Uh, But don't be confused as we begin to move through this chapter here in the book of Revelation. They are disconnected pictures, and they don't follow any chronological order. Remember in the beginning of our series, in some of the introductory things that I had said concerning this particular book of the, the Bible, I mentioned that most of the book of Revelation does follow a chronological order 
in events, but then there are also these parenthetical verses and texts of Scripture that do not follow a chronological order. So I want you to approach chapter 14 in this way. It is sort of a, and this becomes our first point, a panoramic view of things to come. So let me say that again. This is our first point. A panoramic view of things to come. You can also sort of think of chapter 14 as if it was a table of contents. So maybe that will uh, make more sense uh, to you. Uh, These visions take us back to the beginning of the tribulation period to its completion seven years later. And again, they do not follow these visions that are recorded for us here in chapter 14, do not follow a chronological order. Now, to verify that, let me give you an example. Remember last time together, we were introduced to these wicked beasts in chapter 13, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Those were those two beasts that we were introduced to there in chapter 13. But now here in chapter 14, we are about to be introduced to Jesus as a lamb, and he comes into view here. And by the way, chapter 14, uh, one of the visions, one of the pictures uh, that's being presented to us is Christ's second coming. But in the chronological order of things, that doesn't happen yet. It happens in one of our future studies, in one of the future chapters that we're going to be addressing down the road in the next few weeks. So in here in chapter 14, Jesus is pictured as a lamb, and he comes into view, and it's a picture of his second uh, coming. And think about that. As it relates to the preceding chapter, chapter 13, chapter 14 is in place of a multitude of people worshiping the Antichrist there, and appears a host of redeemed ones, right? There's the contrast of uh, of the two, uh, praising and following Jesus Christ. So in chapter 13, you have uh, presented to us the two beasts, and worldwide the population is worshiping them. But now here in chapter 14, you have the picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ with this 144,000 redeemed ones, and they're praising and following the Lord. So it doesn't, the point is, I've gone a long way to make this point, I guess, but the point is, is it doesn't follow a chronological order. You understand that? Okay. So once again, this is the way that we ought to view and approach chapter 14. It is a panoramic view of things to come. Okay. So that sort of sets the stage for this message. Now that brings us to our second point, and that is, the lamb and the 144,000. So if you're taking notes, write that down. The lamb and the 144,000, and that's our second point, but it also then takes us to our first point, or our, uh, I'm sorry, or rather our, our text. So let's begin and read now chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I, who's I? John, the recorder of this book of the Bible. Then I looked... And behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, the idea here is that this 144,000 is sealed. 
is sealed by God. And we're not actually sure whether or not it is some kind of visible mark that has been placed on their foreheads, or it's just conveying the idea of that they are sealed of God, and they have the Father's name written on their foreheads, and we can come to that conclusion. It's so obvious simply by the way that they live their lives. Just think about this. I mean, there should be a profound difference between a believer and an unbeliever, right? Let's say, for example, you meet someone for the first time, and you spend just like a few minutes with them and talking. You just run into them, or maybe you're at some Christian event. And and isn't it true that it is easy to determine whether or not that person is a true Christian or not? Because there's something that decidedly is different about them. You know, you can just kind of size them up, right? And, and you know whether or not they are the true thing. And, and, and by the way, also, you, you can usually find out where the, what church they attend as well, right? By the way that they carry themselves. Whether they're true follower of Jesus Christ. Whether they're the real deal or not. Whether or not they are genuine in their walk in their relationship with the, the Lord. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And uh, so this whole idea of having their father's name written on their foreheads conveys the idea that they've been sealed by God. But the truth is, if you're the real deal, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what? You've been sealed as well. And I'm sure that people, when they come into contact with you, will know whether or not you are the real deal. You know, people can come to that kind of a conclusion. You know that. It doesn't take an awful lot of time spending with that person, whether or not, you know, whether they are a Christian, whether or not they are a true follower of Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, let's go on. This is the first vision, by the way. And I heard, that is John, a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Now, this is all a part of the first vision. They sang, as it were, a new song, Before the throne, before the four living creatures, remember the four living creatures that we were introduced to in our study back in chapter 4, when John is raptured and he's standing now before the throne of God and these four living creatures are there as well. Uh, They are before the throne of God, the focal point in heaven, Jehovah God. The Father is sitting upon the throne and these four beasts are also there. Remember, we talked about these individuals. So once again, we're introduced to them here in verse 3. And the elders, remember the sub-thrones around the main throne there in heaven, the 24 thrones? I had suggested that may those that are sitting on it may be the 12 apostles representing the New Testament, maybe some of the, uh, the uh, 12 patriarchs or maybe some of the prophets representing the Old Testament. So 12 from the Old Testament, 12 from the New Testament, sitting on these sub-thrones around the Uh, the throne that God himself uh, sits upon. So that's the elders that are being uh, referred to here. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who redeemed from the earth. Now this is interesting. This 144,000 that we're introduced to in this vision that John saw sung a song, but only those who sang it were familiar with its lyrics. Now, hold on to that. We're going to get back to this point in just a moment. And this is very interesting. Only they were familiar with the lyrics that they themselves sung. 
So what song was that? Well, hang in there. We're going to come to that in just a little bit. Hope I got your curiosity up now. And then in verse 4, these are the ones, that is the 144,000, who are not defiled with women. Now, what does that suggest? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment as well. For they are virgins, and they are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. That idea without fault means literally they were beyond reproach. Okay, so let me break down these five verses for you that make up this first vision that John, the recorder of this book of the Bible, had received of God. First of all, the Lamb. There, notice, in Zion, that is in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 1, is none other than the Jews' Messiah and Deliverer, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And again, as I mentioned, this is a picture of the second coming of Jesus. Again, it doesn't follow a chronological order. It's a parenthetical text of Scripture. Now, let me give you a cross-reference for this as it relates to this event that is Christ's second coming out of the Old Testament. In the book of Zechariah, and I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, in chapter 14, and in chapter 14 in verses 1 through 4, I want to just draw your attention to something there. And I believe that this particular portion of Scripture depicts the second coming of, of Jesus. So I believe that Zechariah here has the end times in view. And I think that this will be obvious as we read through it. Okay, so Zechariah 14, beginning in verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. It hasn't happened yet, folks. And again, I believe that Zechariah has in view the end times. That is the second coming of Christ. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. Now, who's he, who's he speaking to here? Well, he's speaking to the Jews, particularly those Jews that are in the city of Jerusalem, because notice there in verse 2, for I will gather all of the nations to battle against Jerusalem during this time, just prior to the Lord's second coming. So at this time, Jerusalem will be surrounded. They will be attacked by some kind of an international uh, force. Notice it goes on here. The city shall be taken the houses rifled, the women ravished, and half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So not all of the members that live in the city of Jerusalem will be overthrown, although that this strike will be very severe by what we read there in verse 2. Then the Lord will go forth, Okay, as they're surrounded, right in the midst of this uh, attack on the city of Jerusalem, and then the Lord will go forth. This is when the Lord appears the second time. And he will fight against those nations that have arrayed against the city of Jerusalem and his people Israel. And he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So when the Lord comes back, where does he land? He lands on the Mount of Olives, where he gave us the 
Olivet Discourse, which was recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, right? The Olivet Discourse. So that's where he lands, and his feet uh, touch down. And notice, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. Literally now, folks, split in two, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. And half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and half of it towards the south. Then you, who's you? Israel, the Jews, shall flee through my mountain valley, the result of the Lord touching down on the Mount of Olives. When he does, the mountain splits in two. And now it provides a corridor for the Jews to escape this assault on the city of Jerusalem. For the mountain valley shall reach to Azai. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. So at this time, the Lord Jesus comes back and he fights on behalf of his people Israel. And I think the most significant verse of scripture is found in verse 9. So quickly jump ahead here in Zechariah to verse 9. And what does it say? And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. That is when he comes back a second time. And in that day, he shall be, the Lord is one and his name one. So we, we look forward to that uh, day. Okay, so let's go back now to our text in the book of Revelation. And so isn't it comforting uh, to know to have Jesus appear when almost all of the people of the earth are worshiping the devil? Remember, we talked about this last time. Uh, the worship of Satan is drawn out from the people worshiping the Antichrist who is energized and supercharged by the devil. Remember in chapter 13, just quickly go back to the preceding chapter. Notice what it says there in verse 4. So they worshiped the dragon. Remember last time we, we firmly established who the dragon was. We're told literally it was the devil who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, so the truth of the matter is they're actually worshiping the devil as they worship the beast, who is like the beast who is able to make war, with him. Okay, so let me say it again. Isn't it so comforting to have Jesus appear when almost all of the people of the earth are worshiping the devil? You see, Jesus is the God who breaks into all of the darkness. Praise God. And when Jesus comes again to the earth, all of the wrongs against him shall be amended. They shall be corrected. Now, the Lamb. Jesus, notice, let's go back to verse 1, is with this company of 144,000. Okay, so who are these uh, folks? Who are they? Well, I believe that they are the same group that we've already been introduced to in chapter 7. Let's quickly go back there to chapter 7. Notice there in verses 4 through 8, we have the mention of them. We talked a lot about them in that message, right? So I believe that this 144,000 that we're reintroduced to here in chapter 14 is the same group of chapter 7. The 12,000 individuals from the 12 tribes of Israel. And therefore, they're all Jews. 
They have been saved. They have been sealed, as we were told, not only here in chapter 14, but also back there in chapter 17. They've been faithful to the trust that was committed to them, that is, in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus, their king, who is to come. Remember, I had I, I suggested that they were sort of like 144,000 uh, Billy Grahams, you know. They just had this special and unique anointing upon them to go forth throughout the uh, world, actually, and proclaim the gospel. And notice there in chapter 7, and this is the reason why I asked you to turn there, notice in verse 9, we have the list of the 144,000, the 12 tribes, uh, 12,000 out of each tribe, and many Bible teachers, and I don't want to be dogmatic about this, but I, I believe that they are correct when they have suggested that verse 9 is actually the result and the outcome of their being called and sealed by God to that occupation of preaching the gospel. This is the result of that. Let's read verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And remember, the palm branches always suggest victory, right? So now their victory is in Jesus Christ. So I believe that verse 9 is actually the result of and the outcome of this 144,000 who are sealed by God to go forth into all of the world to preach the gospel. You know, I believe that it's through these 144,000 where the Great Commission that has been given to the church is now fulfilled. And that's just my take on it. Just wanted to put it out there. Uh, You can come into your own conclusions. Uh, But just something that I wanted to uh, draw your uh, attention to. So again, the 144,000, they've been saved. They've been sealed. They've been faithful to the trust that has been committed to them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, their king, to come. And again, there in chapter 7 and verse 9, I believe that that is the result of their effort and preaching. This great multitude of people. It's a diverse, notice how diverse this group is, out of all nations. So this is the effect that they had in their occupation of preaching the gospel. Okay, now let's go back to verse 1 for some further descriptions of this group. So the seal, verse 1, on their foreheads, and again, as I mentioned before, I'm not quite sure if this is some visible mark that identifies them as a a true worshiper of God. Again, it it may just suggest, you know, they're easily recognized as a true disciple of Jesus Christ by the way that they live their lives. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship too. 
Check harvestnyc.org for service times. You can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to ask you to join us in praying for all those listening to Pastor Mike's teachings. Please pray for open hearts and open ears to hear and accept truth. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us today. We look forward to our continuing study of Revelation next time, here on In My Father's House. There's a place for